Hi, I'm Eric, also known as v 47 from the Ranger Command Power Hour and the Starfleet Escape Podcast. You're listening to another great Four-Eyed Radio product. For more shows, check out foureyedradio.com. It's morphin' time! Aye, 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 aye! It's the Ranger Command Power Hour! Today on the Power Hour, Extra Episode 88, Ranger Command Interview, Melissa Flores and the Dead Lucky, recorded on August 22nd, 2022. Welcome to the Ranger Command Power Hour on the Four-Eyed Radio Network. It's time to Ranger Up with your hosts. I'm Eric, also known as TrekkieB47. I'm AP, also known as Secret Ranger Fan. And I'm Zach, also known as Hollywood. This episode is brought to you by our patrons on Patreon. Go to patreon.com slash rangercommandph to learn more about supporting Ranger Command Power Hour. Thanks to our $5 and above patrons, Charles D., Chris P., Steve F., Steve M., AJW, Jacob P., Tyler B., Tyler W., Leland D., Charlie N., Brian M., Craig M., Liz M., Mason M., Kevin R., Steve R., Hassan A., Josh P., Derek G., and Teresa B. for supporting us this month. Remember, you can go to linktr.ee slash rangercommandph. For all the links in our show, as well as our Amazon affiliate link at amazon.com slash shop slash Ranger Command PH. Today, we are interviewing Melissa Flores, best known in Ranger Nation for her work at Saban Brands as Director of Development and Production and Director of Power Rangers Content at Hasbro as the Director of Storytelling and currently a writer, producer, consultant, and creative executive with over a decade of experience. Some of her work includes directing and writing Power Rangers Hyperforce, producing digital films like Power Rangers Legacy Wars Street Fighter Showdown and Shattered Grid, co-creating the Twitch digital series The Unleashed, which included a backup series in Images Radiant Black, as well as being the writer and co-creator of the new Massiverse title The Dead Lucky, and co-writer of the upcoming Radiant Pink. She will also be the new writer for Mighty Morphin Power Rangers, starting with issue 101. Welcome to Ranger Command, Melissa. Wow, that was quite an intro. Thank you so much. That felt so rehearsed. (laughs) (laughs) We are nothing if not professional on the show. And researched. I mean, you are so busy and have been busy for a a number of years. We just wanted to finally get you on the show, especially with, you know, all the good things happening with what you have currently going on with uh, Image and the Massiverse. So really, thank you for uh, being on the show today. Oh, no, thank you guys so much for having me. I've always been a big fan of the podcast. It's fun to be on finally. Thanks. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, we've been a fan of, you know, all your work over the years on on Power Rangers and, you know, all the different creative endeavors that you've done. So looking forward to chat. So we got a bunch of questions from all of our listeners, like a ton. So we'll probably just like go through some topics. So uh, Zach, why don't you kick us off? First up, we've got a little bit of an off topic question, but regarding <laughs> your uh, profile picture, uh, Long's Toys <laughs> at Long 83 said, uh, I'd like to know what she's looking at over there. I was looking at my bathroom. <laughs> <laughs> I um I had to do headshots and I needed to do them very quickly. So I literally did them myself. I set up my camera and I set up some lights and I just took a crap ton of pictures. And one of them I just happened to be looking left. And I thought it looked good. So. Do I need a new shower curtain over there? <laughs> yeah. 
I was going to say, it, it looked really pro, so nice job. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, Sandra, my girlfriend, is a photographer, and so she's more of a scenic photographer, but I really like doing portraits. But I don't, you know, with COVID and everything, it's hard to get practice on other people, so once yeah. in a while, I'll just do it myself. I'll be like, what do I look like? <laughs> <laughs> Most of the times, I'm not a fan, but once in a while, it'll come out cute. A little bit um, to start your career, you started with Power Rangers at Saban Brands. I did. Can you give us like a little bit of your history with Saban Brands? Just like an overview? Yeah. When I started with Saban Brands, I had been out of the industry for about three years and I had kind of burnt out on it. It was right when the writers, the first writer strike happened, <clears throat> which dates myself. And I couldn't get a job uh, that felt satisfying and I was really burnt out on being an assistant. I'd been an assistant at FX and HBO and those are great places to be, but um, it's very hard to be a development assistant. At least it was at that time. It felt very uh, rat racy in terms of everybody's vying for promotions. Everybody's willing to like stab each other in the back just to get them. There's only a limited amount of time and a little bit of amount of positions open and you have to just be willing to do so many things that I just wasn't comfortable. And, um, and so I was just, I was done. I couldn't really afford to have the salary that I was getting paid. I had gone to USC. I had student loans. And so I went and I was like, you know what, screw it. I'll just write in my own time and I'll be an assistant, an executive assistant for a finance guy. Cause they pay 10 times better. And the work is 10 times easier, which was absolutely true. And I landed at a job called Saban Capital Group, uh, which is owned by Haim Saban. And I loved it. And he treats employees very well. Like the first week that I got there, it was like a November, December. Everybody gets two weeks off for Christmas, no matter what, even me. And then like they gave us our company gifts, which I think was a flip phone right when they first came out. And then he had that year his company party at his house, his mansion. Uh, and it's insane that there was like four tents. And uh, <laughs> one of them was like Chanukah themed. One of them was Christmas. One of them was like kids. And I think there was like a snow hill with like, you say you could go sledding down. There was carolers in like a Christmas village with reindeer. It was insane. So yeah, it was a fun company to work for. But after about three years, I was bored. Mm. And I knew there was never going to be a full-time thing. I never wanted to be a full-time assistant. Not that that's not a great job for people and people do it very, very well, but that was not for me. And so in that time, I had made uh, connections with other people. And so I had talked to the general counsel at the time named Naveen. And I was like, hey, just so you know, I think I'm thinking about going back into entertainment. I'm getting kind of bored. I want to try something. I want to try to get back into it. And she's like, well, we actually might have a position for you available. And uh, it just so happened that right at that time, Haim was in the process of buying Power Rangers. And he started Saban Brands for the two brands that he bought, which is Power Rangers and Paul Frank. Mm. And they had a position open at Saban Brands under Brian Casentini. And originally it was a coordinator for distribution, which mm -hmm. is different than production and development, which right distribution is when um, the show is done you need to distribute it to all the people that are going to air it. And you need to make sure that it's in the right code, the codecs are right, and that the tapes are right, and that the dubbing is all done, and all the fun logistical stuff. And when I interviewed with Brian, he saw that I was more interested in the entertainment thing. And to his credit, he created a new position for me and made me the coordinator for production and development, and then started probably the 
hardest year of my life uh, <laughs> because I didn't know a thing about Power Rangers. And it was in the middle of the transition from Disney. So they were still throwing just all these assets at us. And we're trying to find these assets and we're trying to like go through. And I had, I knew about Power Rangers. Um, I liked it. I was a little too old for it. I was more sure. in my Saved by the Bell phase when Power Rangers came out. But I remember seeing it and thinking that it was it was fun and cool. And so relearning it to come back and be like, oh my God, this is still going. I had no idea. Mm -hmm. It had been by that time, it had been like 18 seasons. They had done RPM and the reversioned season, and they were developing Samurai to get going. And everybody was brand new. And there was nobody really left at Disney to do any sort of real transition. Sure. And so it was my job, and I did have help. It wasn't just me. It was my job to edit together a franchise Bible. And I think we hired Amit and also Jackie Marchand to help mm. help pull this stuff together. <laughs> right. Um, but it ended up being like 600 pages of every season. And here is what they wore. And I'm sure there's mistakes in there. There's probably a thousand mistakes in there because I had to pull things from everywhere. Like sure. we had half the materials that we needed. But by the end of it, six months later, I, I knew everything. And part of the job was to make sure like I had to go to Santa Clarita and go into that warehouse. I had all the costumes and I had to pull out a bunch of different costumes because we were doing a licensing show that year. And then we had, they wanted to do a flash mob. And so I had to do, you know, I had to pull out 40 different costumes and make costumes. And I had no idea what some of them were. And so I had to make sure that they all matched. I did mess up on one and that will like haunt me forever. Cause I think that video went viral on YouTube. But um, if you look at the video, pink, the red hyper, the red mystic force helmet is the pink helmet spray painted red. And I don't know who the oh. heck did that, but I hate it. <laughs> it bugs me because it's right in the middle. <laughs> And I did not catch that. I'm sure there's like a bunch of people who have watched that video and just ne probably even never noticed that. Oh, but people did. Oh, okay. <laughs> they After always will. Releases, that video is going to get another jump in views. People trying to spot. <laughs> like, oh, there it is. Okay, here's the thing with that story, and I know that you guys have questions, so I'll, I'll tell it quick. We had to do. We did this licensing show, and this flash mob was supposed to be for. Um, what they call the summit, right? Where they bring yeah. all the licensees and they give them these little gifts and they tell them, here's our slate for the year. Um, but Ellie, our CEO, who is great or was great, he's like, this was great. Let's do it again tomorrow on the floor. And by that time, we had 40 dancers that were either going back to their shows or in like Yoshi and Stunt Guy's case, back to Los Angeles. So we literally had to like call Yoshi's in the team and be like, turn around, come back. <laughs> and we had to find 40 new dancers to like wow. fit the costumes. And these are dancers from Vegas, right? They're not stunt dancers who are used to dancing in helmets. So mm -hmm. you have to train them. They have, you have to be like, you're going to feel claustrophobic. It's going to be hard to breathe. Like it's okay. And, um, and I don't know how we did it, but we did it. And it was really, it's really cute though. Cause the, the, the lead choreographer, is the one that's in the red mystic force suit mm -hmm. and he wasn't originally going to be in there but we didn't have anybody else so he jumped in but he loved the cape and you just like <laughs> watch the video it's so cute he comes in and he does this like twirl with the cape like look at how fabulous <laughs> it's amazing but yeah we pulled it off it was fun but yeah that was so my job as a coordinator it was just literally just running around getting things done finding the assets pulling everything together and then the longer i was with uh saban brands the more I proved my chops, the more I was able to be more creative. 
Um, and so I kind of worked my way up from coordinator to manager mm-hmm. and then eventually to director. And originally it was development and production for all of Saban Brand's brands. Mm-hmm. So I got to do some cool stuff like Glitter Forest and Julius Jr. and Digimon and all that. But then the work just got too overwhelming and I ended up just doing Power Rangers. And that's kind of where I ended up before we went to Hasbro. So was that, was that your choice? You just like the Power Rangers side of it so much that you wanted to focus on that or? Well, I mean, by that time I had kind of become like the, the lore master or the brand master. And what I liked about Power Rangers and what was different than what was happening on the other side, as much as I loved the other stuff, like I loved Glitter Force um, and I loved doing all that stuff. The difference was I got to do more than just TV mm. if I was doing Power Rangers. And that's what I really fell in love with, the idea of being able to tell stories in all kinds of mediums, like comic books, like video games, like live tours and all that fun stuff we got to do. And so when it came to the idea that by by that time, the department had been split into two different departments. So Brian was on Power Rangers Mm -hmm. with Paul, and then there was Rick, who had, uh, Rich, sorry, who had this whole other department, and I was the only one that was doing both. And it was a matter of where could I provide the most value? Mm. And it seemed to me it made more sense given what my role had become to ask to join the Power Rangers team full-time as opposed to the development and production team full-time. It felt like va- my value could be better used there. And so I did ask. And I really did. By that time, I loved Power Rangers and I loved it and I wasn't ready to, to move away from it to do this other stuff. Yeah, so I guess I did just choose Power Rangers. So next up, we do have a question from one of our listeners, Sari Jenkins at the almighty underscore CRJ says, what would you say to your past self who just started working for Saban Brands, if any? What I say to my past self, if I just started working for Saban, what would I say to my past self? It's only a job. (laughs) 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 Don't kill yourself. It's only a job. No, I mean, I, I'm a person that I value my work ethic. I value my work. I define my self-worth based on what I do. And so I worked my butt off and I was very proud of it. But I think work-life balance is a real thing. And it wasn't until after I left Power Rangers and I really stopped that I was like, wow, yeah, maybe I shouldn't have gone so hard. Mm. Maybe I should have like tried a little harder to have a work-life balance because it feels so different now than it did before. I don't think I understood the stress until I stepped away. And that kind of leads into another question one of our listeners had uh, at Morphin underscore Mike Zero Two. He said, what is your favorite aspect of the Power Rangers universe? And is the answer different as like, you know, a writer or whatever position you you had before versus as a fan? If I was going to answer as an executive, it's the inclusiveness of Power Mm -hmm. Rangers. I love the idea that everybody can be a ranger. I think that's one of the things that really uh made us unique and distinct from other brands and i think now it feels like more people are doing that but it wasn't the case when power rangers was around uh and you know Jaime himself felt very strongly about having diverse casts mm-hmm. and i really appreciated it we fought for it in the movies we, we we fought for it in the tv shows and that was always something i really really appreciated as a fan i don't think it's any different really i mean mm. i i I love the lore and the history of Power Rangers. I love the fact that we can reinvent Power Rangers and that there's no one way to do Power Rangers. I really do love that. But I think I still love that at the end of the day, Power Rangers is about good and evil in a way that doesn't feel as muddy. Even when you do the Boom Studio books, Mm -hmm. majority of Rangers, and we have, you know, those interesting outliers that are different. And that's what I love about the Morphin Grid. It's, It's not like... 
you can only it's kind of like the force in that you can use it for good or evil if you choose to. But I love that the majority of, of rangers, when you become a ranger, you become like the best form of you. Mm-hmm. It's not like it changes you into Shazam, like where you're this like super god. You are just the ve- best version of you. And I really love that. I love that that becomes different based on who you are. Like Billy, as the best version of Billy, is never going to be the best version of Tommy. Right. And the, even in... The movie, I think it showcased that really well with um, Billy, who was on, who's on the spectrum and like he becomes a ranger that doesn't just magically go away because that's part of who he is. And he's still the best version of Billy. And um, I always thought that was really special about the brand. For sure. So our next question comes from uh, Joshua Moore at Josh Moore HL. And he said, what are the biggest misconceptions fans have about the Power Rangers brand from a creative standpoint? Um, yeah, that's, that's a loaded question. <laughs> <laughs> uh, contrary to popular belief, yeah, we're not all idiots. We do have a strategy in play. It can be hard. It can be frustrating because I feel like in the new era of, I don't even, it's not even new anymore, right? The, the era of the internet, I feel like there's an entitlement that fans need to know every little decision and why it's made. And unfortunately, mm-hmm. that's just not possible. And it's not just one person making all these decisions. There's like, there's concentrated departments going into every single thing. And like, for example, I have tastes that don't run similar to, I understand why fans wouldn't have, didn't like Samurai or super fans didn't like Samurai or Megaforce or Super Megaforce. But I also understand why the choices were made to produce the seasons the way they were. Sure. And if you look at the results, you see that there's a lot of kids and who are now adults who love Samurai, who love Mega. That was their childhood and that was yep. their version of Power Rangers. And so it was always um, difficult, not difficult. It was a challenge because we liked doing it and we loved the fans. Absolutely. But for me, it, to balance super fan expectations versus what a kid fan would like or a casual fan, yeah. there was always... I think the hardest thing is just we can't do everything for one group of fans. We have to make sure that in order to make money, because this is a business, we have to hit the widest demo possible while also honoring each and every demo. Mm -hmm. And I think you could do that with varying amounts of success. But I don't think, especially with Power Rangers, nobody sets out to like destroy the brand. And nobody sets out. No one wants to sabotage their own jobs, basically. Yeah, nobody wants to hurt the brand. Like, yeah. But there's other things in play that maybe might affect the way the brand is executed. And just because you don't understand it doesn't mean it's not the right call, I guess. Mm-hmm. If that makes sense. Not you specifically. I'm just talking like. Yeah, in general. And in general. Yeah. For sure. After Saban Brands was sold off to Hasbro, um, you actually continued at Hasbro and became a co-producer on Power Rangers Beast Morphers. Can you talk a little bit about that transition and in terms of how it affected your job moving from Saban to Hasbro? Yeah. Well, it just I think it just worked differently because uh, Saban Brands was a much smaller company. So you got to wear a lot more hats, if that makes sense. And then Mm -hmm. um, Hasbro obviously is a much bigger company. 
and they have their own way of doing things. And so uh, my hats became smaller, so to speak, in terms of I still got to do so much. And that there's lovely people that work at Hasbro. I still got to work on publishing. I still got to work on video games, which is not the norm. There is right. an entertainment team and there's a franchise team and they do not mix usually. So the fact that I was able to work on the show and all these other things was really amazing of them to allow me to do that because that's not what usually happens but it was a change and it was a shift and it did feel different in terms of the the co-producer credit i mean that was something that i had earned over 10 years mm -hmm. that as i grew in my skills it was able to i was finally able to get to the point where i was able to give notes on the show for the long time like samurai megaforce super megaforce ninja steel like it, like i was able to do more for publishing video games sure. like anything that wasn't the tv show i actually got to contribute more creatively than the actual tv show the tv show had the big eyes on it you know i was the little executive and they had big executives and those were the people working on the tv show i would just handle day-to-day -day stuff on the tv show like i would make sure that the costumes were okay and that the, I was work we were working with bandai and making sure the toys were well incorporated and that the wardrobe got through and I would give the Power Rangers one-on-one -on -one to the cast members. It was all working with the line producers and the producers, not necessarily the creative stuff. And so Beast Morphers was probably the first show that I was able to truly able to start giving notes and contribute creatively. And so in that way, I was able to get that co-producer credit. But that that was, um, you know, 10 years in the making. Mm -hmm. It took a while for me to get there, just as it was, you know, to me to get to director. It required a lot of work and a lot of nudging and be like, hey, can we get this now? <laughs> but yeah, for Hasbro, lovely people, absolutely lovely people. It was just a different environment. They worked a different way. Well, speaking to your memories of uh, working on Beast Morphers, uh, listener Johnny at Johnny underscore Marrero says, uh, what was your favorite moment working on Power Rangers Beast Morphers? That is a really good question. <laughs> hmm. I had really fun trying to uh, work on uh, Dimensions in Danger. I thought Dimensions in Danger was a lot of fun. It was fun to see all the cast members come back together. Oh, yeah. and, um, and that was fun. Um, for, it's always fun when you get to do something that kind of coincides a little bit with like everything else that you're doing. So being able to like have Tommy like insinuate that Tommy and Cat are maybe still together or that Tommy's son is the same name as the guy in Soul of the Dragon. Like those kind of that was always what was fun for me is, is being able to include synergy into that kind of stuff. And I just thought Dimension Danger was fun. I enjoyed it. Definitely one of my favorite moments of the show. You also spoke a little bit before about video games. And mm -hmm. so you worked on Battle for the Grid. You actually voice acted as as Cat Manx, SPD Cat Ranger, and uh, Gia, a uh, yellow Super Mega Force Ranger. So how did that come about? Was it they needed people to do a voice on it or... Was yeah, it given I did. To I needed people to do the voice, and the only <laughs> yeah. person that could do the job was me. No, um, yeah. So again, part of my job, like the big people would focus on the big stuff, and then I was the little executive. I was the director versus the VP. I would focus on the other stuff, and so part of the other stuff was the video game. And uh, we'd worked with with Enway for a long, long time. We did Legacy Wars, you know. When it came, anything that had a story was the stuff that we were involved with, mm -hmm. and so we'd always work with. Enway. So when Hasbro decided to do Battle for the Grid with Enway, we needed a story mode. And so I was brought on, obviously, part of my job to produce that story mode. And one of the things I was a big proponent of was a um, voice track. Because mm -hmm. originally, we, there was just wasn't enough money for that. 
And thankfully, Kyle felt really passionate about it. Amanda, who was the executive at Lionsgate, felt really passionate about it. So did Enway. At the end of the day, we found the money. It wasn't a lot. And so it really was a game of Jenga in terms of like, okay, here's how many, how much money we have for characters to speak. Mm -hmm. Here's who we absolutely need to get. You know, we need a Tommy. We need a Kimberly. We need a Jason. Like we need all these different people. Okay. So this is who, you know, we need Zordon. Okay. Who can we just get really good voice actors or that we can get three or four characters from? You know, that's mm-hmm. how we got, um, God, it's killing me that I forget their names. Two amazing voice actors who were able to do Rita and Dougie Kruger and a bunch of other characters for us. And then it just became, and this is actually something that happens in animated rooms when you're doing, because again, I did Glitter Force, I did Digimon. I've done a lot of work in VO and dubbing. Sure. When you have a very good voice actor, you come into a room and they, you do your lines and they say, okay, can you do an old lady? Okay. And so you like, you try to get as much mileage as you can because you're paying by the hour. Mm -hmm. And so it was a matter of who else do we have? Okay, let's check it off. So David came in, he did Zordon and we said, okay, can you do blue? And so he did blue because he's an incredible voice actor. There's some characters are so distinct. You can't do that. You know, Jason was Jason. Yeah. But Kyle really wanted to voice a character. So he voiced the sentry and then we had three characters left. So I stuck Amanda in the room. (laughs) <laughs> and uh, I made Amanda do white, uh, Mystic Force white. And then um, there was two characters left. And one was Gia and one was uh, Cat Ranger. And I felt like I could like not do a good job, but a passable job where they could find it. Like, so I just literally because I've done singing, singing before I can like pitch my voice high or low. And, you know, I've done I've been enough of those rooms. I understand how it works. Mm-hmm. And so um, I just basically said, let me take a shot at it because it was it was me and Kyle and Amanda in this room and Kyle was directing and I was producing. And I was like, just let me just take a shot at it and see if it's usable. And that way we save the money from having to hire another voice actor. We got Megan for Kimberly. And so it wasn't that many people that we had it was just people doing different voices and so i was one of those people just doing and thankfully it wasn't a voice in story mode it was just a voice Mm -hmm. in the actual game so i just had to do like a bunch of (laughs) you know i just had to do those i could do those you know and then like we would just play the clips from the characters like if i could have gotten ciara i would have because she's absolutely fantastic and i'm a big big fan and she's a sweetheart and I've hired her for plenty of things already, but we just didn't have the budget. So sure. that's how I ended up being in the video game. And I'm not going <laughs> to lie. It's kind of fun. I do enjoy that. I was able that they like kept me in there. <laughs> so are there any interesting facts that you're able to share from behind the scenes on the season that fans might not already know about? Which season? Beast Morphers. Um, You know, it was such a long time ago. It's really hard for me to, to think about it. I feel so boring that I'm coming up blank. I feel like everybody, like everybody knows how the production works. Everybody knows what's interesting, unique. I mean, the cast members are lovely. I love them all. Zoe's character, Jackie, was my favorite. She's just such a fun. She's so sweet. They actually were at Power Morphicon when we announced them, and I remember uh, the character, the actors that plays uh, Roxy and other guy. And I, like it's been so long that I feel like I'm like an 80 year old that I can't remember their names. There's Roxy and the other bad guy. Blaze. Really sweetheart. Blaze. They were in the audience, which I don't know if we'd ever, like, I would have never let that happen again because too many people were like, <laughs> those people, 
I don't know how. Find the attractive ones. Those very attractive people. <laughs> <laughs> like, why do you always figure it out? It's just like we try so hard. But um yeah, but they got to like it was fun to see and Liana Ramirez and Colby Strong. Thank you. Colby, yeah, Colby and Liana. Yeah. yeah. It's because they went to a party and they were photographed with other rangers. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you can't, you know, we're not trying to make them into soldiers. They can do what they want. Um, did you get to yeah. go to New Zealand? Not for Beast Morphers, but I did go for Super Mega Force. Um, nice. And never for just shooting on set, but we would mm -hmm. always have to do one of the things that's important to do. And I actually don't think we did it for Beast Morphers, but it's important to do is you see those, those promo images. Yeah. Uh, beautiful promo images on, on white Sykes and, you know, on set of them, like looking lovely in their uniforms and doing those action images that you see in all the key art where they're flying or kicking. Um, and then you'd see B-roll and BTS. So mm -hmm. you'll do like little interviews. And so that requires a couple of us to fly to New Zealand and uh, schedule those with the showrunner and the producers. And just because they're so busy, you have to be very meticulous about when you do sure. it. Um, because then you're essentially requiring them to work a, a sixth or seventh day. Mm -hmm. And so, and they already work very, very hard. So yeah, but I, I got food poisoning that trip. That wasn't fun. Literally my first night with, it was with Jonathan. Yeah. Jonathan's a core. We went to a nice restaurant to eat and I ordered the wrong thing. And then I was oh, no. <laughs> out of commission for the next three days. I felt terrible, but yeah, it was always great. It was always fun to visit the sets and see what they did and how to put them. And it was super mega four season, which is always fun. Cause then you got to actually see all the costumes that we helped put together and send over. And they had a bunch that they had borrowed from Japan. I've actually been to the Toei st studios in Japan and got to see their big warehouse where they keep all their stuff. And so that's, that's always a, fun when you that's see That's amazing. Jealous. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's always fun. Like I had a uh, diva toxes, the crown, had, the crown. Yeah, it's always fun. Like so much of my job in the early days was to be in Santa Clarita inventorying everything. And it was always just as fun to be like, oh my God, this is Divatox's crown. <laughs> I remember I just found Zed's staff just like lying on a pallet. And I was like, this can't, this is, no, we're putting this away. <laughs> I mean, 25 years, almost, yeah. it was, you know, it was a long time to have these props and some of them were absolutely falling apart. And, you mm -hmm. know, I, I brought Goldar and I had him in my office for a really long time because he was just, he was dying a slow death in there. And so... We took him back and hopefully, you know, tried to save him. Well, I, I remember 2018 Power Morphicon and you guys put together that amazing 25th anniversary display with all the props. And as someone who like really enjoys like movie props and TV props and stuff, seeing a lot of that in person was just such a dream for me. And really thank you and, and your team at the time for setting that all up because it looked yeah. absolutely fantastic. I mean, that was, I, I absolutely helped, but that was Jason and Paul, mm. like Paul Strickland, who is with Hasbro still. I just don't think he's on Power Rangers anymore. I think he's sure. on something else. But like they were the, those were, by that time I was working on completely different stuff. And so I would help, but by that time, Paul was really in charge of the costumes and Jason, obviously, you know how much he cares. So um, that was their baby. They put that together and I just helped put it up. <laughs> <laughs> Moving on to Hyperforce, Power Rangers Hyperforce was just such a unique production. Um, it was an, an RPG role play online streaming and 
it has struck such a chord with a certain part of the fan base. People are super passionate uh, about Hyperforce. And it, it's something that we, we actually got uh, quite a few questions on. So Steve Martinez at Random 90s Fan said, was there anything you had to follow when it came to making Hyperforce and having it be a part of the canon? And if you are allowed to say, what is something you would have liked to have been able to explore more with Hyperforce? Um, the only mandate that we ever really had was, obviously, it was nearly impossible to make anything canon to the TV show. We had to give the showrunner creativity to right. do what he wanted to do, which was Chip at the time. But everything else, like, we were the franchise. We were the Power Rangers, so we could make, we could decide what was canon. And so what ultimately what we decided was Hyperforce is canon to Hyperforce is canon to the universe, but it doesn't mean that the show is canon to Hyperforce, if that sure. makes sense. So like the no. show does not have to, you, if you watch the television show and just a television show, you don't need Hyperforce or anything else to make, make it make sense. But, um, and you don't have to say, well, something happened in Hyperforce, so it has to be happened. It has to happen in the show. Like that was never going to be realistic. We're never going to be able to do that with anything, even the comic books. But um, we considered Hyperforce canon and, and because I worked on the books and because I worked in the video games and because I worked with everything, it was pretty easy to just seed it and make it make it all work together because that was literally our job. Our job was to help define canon and what mattered and what didn't. What was something that you have liked to uh, explore in Hyperforce? I mean, I would have liked a season two. That would have been really nice. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think a lot of people <laughs> We purposely ended it on a cliff note because we thought we were going to get a season two. Mm. Um, but unfortunately, it was just bad timing. It was, sure. uh, we just literally, we ended Hyperforce and then we got bought by Hasbro. And then it was just out of our hands. Yeah. It wasn't something, and it wasn't anybody's fault. It was just, you know, that's what happens when a new company buys an old company. They have their own agenda and their own priorities. And Hyperforce, you know, just trying to explain Hyperforce the first time was hard to people that don't get it. Sure. Our marketing, like I give so much credit to Saban Brand's marketing because we went in there, the way, it, the way it even happened was, you know, Jason's wife was on a show called Pencils and Parsecs, I think, with mm -hmm. Hyper RPG. That's how the connection was made. And then they came in to pitch a Power Rangers RPG. I loved it. I thought it was great. I knew about Critical Role on, literally only because I was doing Glitter Force and Laura Bailey was our lead and Mary Elizabeth McGlynn was our voice director and they would talk about playing D&D on Saturday nights and I thought they were just in a basement somewhere. I didn't realize they were just like actually filming for like hundreds of thousands of people. I had no idea. But that's how I learned Critical Role, what Critical Role was. And so I knew what it was. But for somebody that doesn't, isn't in that space and doesn't know it, it's very hard to explain that this is something that's going to be compelling and cool. Like, especially if I'm telling you it's scripted, but it's not. And we're going to do this and that. It was really difficult. And to credit to our marketing department, like I put together a pitch and I sat down with them and I said, this is what I want to do. I want to create a Power Rangers RPG with these people called Hyper RPG. It's going to be really cool. Here are all the numbers. And um, Jen Wexler was like, yeah, I'm in. Here's $100,000. Go do your thing. And um, that's, I mean, that's a big chunk of money for them to be like, yeah, let's yeah. do it. And I'm so grateful to them because they immediately saw what we were trying to do. And it's hard. It's hard to like justify numbers when, you know, uh, mm -hmm. when you don't get it. You know, even getting sponsors could have been it because was could be a challenge sometimes because you don't have. Um, quantifiable data like it's not like you're sponsoring a link and then they can click the link you know it's it's it could be difficult to bring awareness to that stuff and so i was really grateful to our sponsors 
and everybody else that like didn't quite get what we we're trying to do, but still gave us so much support. Boom, Enway, Loot Crate, like all these people who were just like, yeah, let's try it. Let's see where it goes. And I mean, true, it's been what, five years and people still want a season two. And I think that says a lot about the passion that was put in behind it. People worked really hard on that show. And um, not everybody gets it still, but that's okay. I think the people that do, it was it was for truly a love letter for the super fans for the anniversary season. Like it was tailor-made. Everything was done to celebrate Power Rangers. And I think it showed. Absolutely. Next up, we have another listener question from Raul at Listen Anyway who says, who decided the cast for Hyperforce? We know Sierra Hannah was uh, originally approached to play the Black Ranger. Did the character have a name uh, when, when Sierra was? No, it was. So what we did was when I put together the cast list and I was talking to it with my boss and with other people, I, like I had buckets and demos that I wanted to break down. And I knew I wanted at least two former cast members, two former cast members. And I knew I wanted one of them to be Polly because I freaking love Polly Schreier. He is a charming, incredibly intelligent man and um, deserved to be a ranger. <laughs> and I wanted him to be one. And then the Sudarso brothers had come to us, actually tried to pitch an RPG. And we said, no, we're already working on one, but you can be on this one. And nice. so we knew we wanted Peter. And Yoshi had it was filming Buffalo Soldiers at the time or what, mm -hmm. whatever that is. So he couldn't be on it. He came on later as our sixth ranger. So we knew we had Peter. and We wanted to make Peter the Red Ranger because we hadn't had an Asian Red Ranger yet. So we had that. I knew I wanted a super fan and immediately thought of Andre because I had worked with Andre before. He had done some panels and stuff with us and I always been really impressed by um, how funny and how poised and how professional he could be. And so we got very lucky. And then it just left two spots open for the girls. And like I said, I hire a Ciara a lot. When I, was in power. <laughs> I just really like Ciara. She's fun. She's fun to work with. She's a sweetheart. She's, you know, and um, so she was one of the people that we reached out to and she just wasn't available. So that was as far as it went. It was, hey, are you, could you maybe think about doing this thing? And she said, I'm sorry, no, I can't. And that was it. And so, but I mean, I think honestly it worked out for the best because we ended up with Megan and Christina. It was perfect for the cast. So we just got very lucky. And those, we came through those through Yoshi. I think Yoshi introduced us to both Christina and Megan. And it was a leap of faith for everybody. Like nobody really understood it. Even Aaron, when I got Aaron for the premiere, and basically said, you're going to be the mentor to these Hyperforce <laughs> Rangers. She showed up on set one day, and the first day, and was like, okay, I don't even have a script. What are we doing? I'm like, well, here's your lines. You don't have a script. You're just going to improv your way through this. <laughs> and you can just see her eyes just get so white. She's a professional union yeah. actress. Like, she has a very successful career doing what she does. And so it was through the strength, thankfully through the strength of my relationship with her that she trusted me enough to be able to like <laughs> to do this. And um, she had a lot of fun, but it was so funny afterwards. I'm like, well, do you have any advice? You were our first one. She's like, prepare people better. I play a lot of uh, tabletop role-playing games, and I think that the improv aspect of it is definitely intimidating to a lot of people, even professional actors. So it can be kind of intimidating to just be like, yeah, yeah, here's your character play what yeah. do i say whatever you say that's what your character is is you yeah and it was harder too because we're scripted too mm -hmm. like we had a beginning a middle and an end so we're telling them you have a beginning middle and an end this is where you have to go but also do whatever you want and it's mm -hmm. very confusing 
Yeah, so so were there like scripted lines that they would have to insert at certain points or just a structure? Rarely. There were beats. There okay. were yeah. beats. Okay. Um, like we literally, um, Cameron, Malika, and myself would literally, the day before, like we knew where we wanted the season to go. I, we knew We knew more or less what the opening episode was going to be. We knew that they were going to be traveling through looking for this bad guy they're going to visit different eras we're going to use that as an opportunity to bring back other rangers that maybe we couldn't get in new zealand before mm -hmm. and we knew all that but what we would do was we'd have the episode air uh, according to an outline and then sometimes it would deviate sometimes it wouldn't and then the next day literally they'd adjust the outline for the next episode and then malika mm. and i would get on the phone and sometimes we would rewrite it or sometimes we wouldn't like we would just go through it all and just break out a new outline and then the actors would get their beats but not anybody else's so it, it would be something like you know megan at some point zach jack um, jack is going to say this you have to agree with him and that sort of thing and it was a learning process because i don't think anybody's done that before we had a couple really seasoned D, &D players on our team that i think got a little frustrated sometimes because of the guardrails and then we had people that had never done D, D before who just really enjoyed having the freedom but also the structure to be able to do that and so it was a learning process at all times but um i think we really got the hang of it and it was really fun i think the first um malika had a hard job and mm -hmm. um i think she did it she did it very well and then when we had zach do the do it he did it as well too he did it really well too and we just had a lot of fun but it was definitely a learning process and a lot of trust in a lot of these actors who you know aren't don't come from improv you know mike had never done it uh cameron had never done it karen had never done it like but thankfully you know we had spent so long building those relationships um and so did zach that we you know by the time we were like maybe in the middle of the season people knew what we were doing and they were excited to be a part of it which was cool yeah, that that's amazing. I, I mean, Hyperforce just left such a huge mark on uh, the fan base that supported it and through the entire Power Rangers universe. Uh, I'm happy to see them, you know, still show up in expansions of the card game and, and yeah. all that stuff. So we're really glad for, you know, your work on, on Hyperforce. Moving on to the comics, one of the big reveals from San Diego Comic-Con was that you are going to be the new writer for Mighty Morphin Power Rangers after Ryan Parrott's departure with uh, the 100th issue. Wait, what? Oh, wait. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, obviously a, a lot of people are are really excited that you're, you're back on, on Power Rangers in a, you know, professional uh, capacity, but you had worked on the comics before because always like in the comics from the beginning, it would say special thanks and like Melissa yeah. Flores and, and a whole bunch of people. So Adam, little Adam 87 asked, so glad to have you back on Power Rangers, Melissa, even though you're just getting started with writing comics, do you feel that there's more creative freedom with them compared to the show production side? Oh, absolutely. Of course. Of course. I mean, it's kind of an unfair comparison because the show has so many beats that they have to hit and they're working with footage that they already that has already been filmed. It's so different. Like they have to they have to, only 20 minutes to tell a story. They have Sentai fight footage. They have civilian footage. They have Megazord footage. They have usually six Rangers that they have to service plus villains. And they have to do it all in 20 minutes and some sort of life lesson in the middle of all that. And it's, yeah, so it's just, um, it's so hard, I think, for them to do a story that like 
a comic book because in a comic book the only budget the only footage you have really is whatever the artist can draw and the art and the writer can think of you know so and we can do it for an older age demo mm -hmm. and so yeah there's a lot more creativity we can do you know as long as we remain within the guardrails of what is meant to be we, as long as we don't break the world right which you know can happen just because we're human and whatever but as long as we try to respect the world and the rules of power rangers then yeah the sky's the limit i mean um boom is is super supportive and honestly i think right now the people that are at hasbro approving this are um i was a hard <laughs> uh, and so was my boss so honestly like they they probably have it a lot easier now <laughs> than i was there <laughs> and i i just want to say um i think when they announced the the new creative team, you as the writer, um, artist Simona uh, D. Gian Felice, if I'm pronouncing that right, and then new editor yeah. um, as as well with uh, Allison Garanowitz. So I think this is like you know all female creative team, and and that's just a huge milestone for for the comics as well. Yeah, we're I'm I'm really lucky. It's so funny because it didn't even occur to me until I saw the press release that it was all girls. Um, even I mean Daphna still consults as well too, which sure. is great. It's always great to have her. But yeah, it's been it's been really nice to because Power Rangers, I mean, it's meant to be equal. And I love what Ryan and I love what Kyle did. And and I feel like Marguerite's run is actually really underrated because I think what she did with lore is incredible and it's stuff that is still being used even now and you know the morphin mm -hmm. masters came from marguerite it's fun i'm not gonna lie it's fun to just like geek out and have fun and go a little crazy and to not have the producer hat on i can be the one now that asks to do the crazy things and then get told yes or no i don't have to be the one saying yes or no and asking <laughs> and trying to figure out how to make it work so it's definitely a nice switch and i do enjoy it and i do love allison was amazing and the inks right now are just incredible from Simona so I'm very lucky and I hope that people enjoy the run yeah I've, I've seen some of her uh, work on on the Firefly stuff and I can't wait to see her artwork for Power Rangers I think it's gonna be really awesome it's really cool yeah we're, we're taking some big swings and and she is swinging right back and it's really cool to see it so Cosmic Ranger at Cosmic Ranger 006 said first of all just want to say welcome back. We missed you. And then they said, are there any little teasers you can share or hints at what's to come? I don't know how much I can say without getting in trouble because I keep seeing this list has come out and they're not saying anything either. <laughs> 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 what I want to do and what, what I consider my personal mandate for this run, the reason why I'm in this position is because I have been there from the very beginning. I have read literally all 100 issues of Power Rangers. And I have been there when they developed these characters and I've seen the different drawings of Draken and I was in the room when we decided who was going to be on the Beyond the Grid team. Like, I know the why behind the choices. And so the last thing I want to do is come into this run and blow up all the beautiful story that has been done uh, before me, because I think of it honestly um as almost my own it's not you know it's theirs but sure, sure. i loved each and every one of those pieces and i've been in the room when each one of those pieces was broken and um and so what i want to do is my my personal challenge is to honor the past and honor what these 
amazingly talented writers in, you know, Kyle and Marguerite and Ryan and Matt have done and push it forward a little bit and then add my own spin on it and kind of make it my own, but in a way that doesn't break what they did, but hopefully, um, I don't want to say elevates it, but um, gives it the respect I think it deserves. So with that in mind, there are elements in play that I really want, I'm really in love with the theme of, you know, the war between good and evil. Like Akaim once said that Power Rangers was about good overcoming evil no matter what. And that's really, for me, looking back at these hundred issues and the exhaustion of these never-ending fights, I really wanted to explore what it feels like to be in that position where you're just fighting all the time. And if you see where Ryan has taken Jason and the hard knocks that Jason has taken, it kind of sets it up perfectly for this idea of, wow, like we can never really catch a breath. Like, mm -hmm. what does it mean for us if like this never ends? This really never ends. And you do that by, by introducing cycles. And that's why we're bringing back Rita. And that's why we see her as Mistress Vile. She has come and has a different agenda. And we are using the beautiful lore that was created for her in Gogo in Mighty Morphin Power Rangers and basically using that as a reason for this incredible transformation. And she has a lot of baggage, I think, and she has something to prove. And what she does and how she does it, again, I feel like it wasn't set up. It was, I feels like it could have been set up. I do it purposely. Mm -hmm. It feels like the next step into what's been being teased which, you know, has a, has a lot of, you know, something bigger is coming, something darker is coming, and what's going to happen now. So I know that was super vague, and I'm sorry. No. They haven't told me what I can say yet. <laughs> <laughs> I think that answers one of our listeners' questions, uh, LOL brohaha, who asked, like, what's the meaning of this recharged era? And I think you kind of teased a, a little bit of that. Yeah, it's definitely a, if we don't learn from our history, we're doomed to repeat it kind of idea. And uh, he also said, I'm always glad to have someone who loves Power Rangers involved in the comics. So oh, thank you. Everybody's been so sweet and so supportive. It really has been a lot because I know like I was watching, I was reading the comments when people, when people heard that Matt and Ryan were ending their runs and there was a lot of God, the next person's going to have a real dress. Like, oh no. Uh, I remember my reaction to when the news dropped that you know you'd be taking up the reins and i was like i played among us with her once oh, so <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was it was terrifying legitimately terrifying um and i think it still will be because people don't I, like i said I, i'm not playing it safe really and i know people are gonna either love that or hate it but to finally be able to be the creative one and not be the yeah. one that has to say no or yes has just been very freeing and fun and so that means I'm going to do things that maybe aren't super safe and just waiting for somebody else to tell me that wow. I can't do it. <laughs> Push the that's limits. That's their problem. That's, 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 that's my exact same strategy at Power Morphicon when I show up next weekend. Because <laughs> I'm, the, I'm the only host that's going to be there. <laughs> oh, jeez. <laughs> One of the questions, just kind of in general with the comics, uh, Raul, again, uh, listen anyway, said, will you be able to someday officially confirm via the comics the names of the A-Squad Rangers or even Nova from SPD? Anything will be welcomed. And I don't know, maybe, I mean, you're the lore master. Did, did they have 
official names or n- nothing? No, Ace Squad did have names. Am I crazy? It was a lot of fan made ones. There was yeah, like Charlie was on screen, but fan name. I know like, a couple of them at least had names, right? Like I'm trying to remember. I'm like looking. I'm trying to re- picture that page in the franchise babe in my head. I can't for the life of me. I feel like some of them did have names. But I mean, yes, that is feasibly something we could do. Um, I don't know if that's something I will do. Sure. But yeah, feasibly. I mean, it's all depends on what whether or not Hasbro says you can, right? You know, I mean, um, one example I bring up is that we didn't allow them, boom, to play with the Phantom Ranger for a very, very long time. And it wasn't only recently that they got to tell the story of the origin of the Phantom Ranger the way that they would say it, because um, we mm-hmm. never let them do it before, because we had other plans for the Phantom Ranger that didn't end up panning out. So it really just depends on Hasbro. If Hasbro says we can name the SPD Ranger and the and the A-Squad Rangers, then yeah, it'd be absolutely a blast. In this run, I will say, I don't know if there's time for that. Sure. Yes, that's something we could probably do if there was an opportunity. And now getting to things outside of Power Rangers, the massive verse, which started with Radiant Black and now includes like Inferno Go Red, Rogue Sun, and now we've got the Dead Lucky. And I think one of the cool things is that seeing all of these creative people who formerly worked on Power Rangers because of the relationships that they formed over the years because of Power Rangers are now creating this massive verse universe so can you tell us a little bit about the dead lucky and how it all fits together with the massiverse absolutely so uh the massiverse is a shared universe that was originally started in uh, kyle higgins book of radiant black which is a superhero book that takes place in chicago and the suburbs of chicago and lockport and Eventually, um, it has been joined by Inferno Girl Red, which is a graphic novel that's coming out with Matt, by Matt Groom, and Rogue Sun, which takes place in New Orleans uh, by Ryan Parrott. And uh, Dead Lucky is the latest book that has joined this universe. And Dead Lucky is about a soldier who has come home from Afghanistan after losing most of her platoon and inherited these secret superpowers that she doesn't want to tell anybody about, in addition to a lot of survivor's guilt and PTSD and discovers that her city, San Francisco, her home city that she was born in, has been privatized by a company called Moro. And she does not like that one little bit. So the story is about her journey to try and take back her, at least her district, Chinatown, from Moro, and how she heals from that traumatic incident. And it's been a lot of fun. The universe itself is shared, but the books are standalone. Mm-hmm. which means that you could read the books and not be confused about the stories. But we get to do these super cool crossovers once a year called Supermassive. And we just announced the second one. And um, it's just been a lot of fun. Um, this is, it's not a Power Ranger. They're not Power Rangers. You know, right. these aren't meant to be Power Rangers. You know, BB is Toku inspired, but it's not a Toku book. These are how we would tell superheroes if we didn't have to play by the rules. And what's really cool about that is that we all work together for so long that we share a lot of the same sensibilities. I was actually just on a call with all four of them as we were talking about Supermassive 2, literally five minutes before I jumped on this call. Nice. (laughs) And the passion that these guys have, and there's a lot of trust involved Mm -hmm. when you do these kind of books together because you have to trust that the other person won't suck, that the other person's not a dick. (laughs) And that you all know how to play nice together. And thankfully, we've all worked on licensed books, so we know what it means to play nice. And it's just a lot of fun. It's a lot of fun to have the shared universe that's brand new, that's easy to jump into, 
that has really hit a chord with people. I think people have really enjoyed it because I think it brings something new and different. These are superheroes for this kind of generation. Yeah. That don't require 40 years of lore to understand and haven't been been rebooted 30 times. And it's just been a lot of fun to to be able to be a part of it. It's been an honor. And hopefully uh, Dead Lucky will be around for a while. It just depends on sales, obviously. Sure. And I think, you know, going back to kind of that storytelling for for the new age, you know, when Radiant Black came out, I mean, that struck a chord with me, you know, someone who's struggling financially and creatively, and now he's being thrown into the mix as a, as a superhero. And then, you know, your character of uh, BB, you know, she's a soldier. She's got, you know, PTSD. She's struggling with a lot of things. And I think all of these superheroes in the Massiverse are striking chords with very real struggles that, that people are dealing with. Yes. I think that's what really sets us apart. I think, I mean, every everybody tells superheroes as they were with real struggles. But I think what's interesting about the way we're doing these books is that, you know, each one of us puts so much of ourselves in these books that it feels intensely personal and it's meant to i mean mm-hmm. uh that first page of kyle's of uh nathan just looking at his bank account and seeing how much he's overdrawn and how much credit card i mean we we've all been there as as, as working writers as somebody trying to make a living doing this it's it's hard and like Ryan has made it very clear that Rogue Son is essentially about a messy divorce and he's basing it a lot on on what happened with his childhood. And The Dead Lucky is very much inspired by my partner and my attempt to connect with her through a lot of the changes that happen when you stop being a soldier. And when you're that personal and that vulnerable, I think people appreciate it because they have the opportunity to be vulnerable right back. Yeah. It feels personal in a way that maybe you don't feel as much for a Superman or a Batman or a Captain America who are just like super serumed and have been rebooted to death. Like these feel like real characters for what we're all going through now, especially after the last couple of years where right. everything feels a little <laughs> crazy, right? You betcha. So kicking off some fan questions uh, regarding your work with the Dead Lucky, Dr. Ben at Dr. Ben MD asks, regarding world building, what are some lessons that you have taken from your work on Power Rangers and implemented into both the new comic run and the Dead Lucky? Don't overcomplicate things, I guess, is the biggest mm-hmm. thing. I think when people tr- are thinking, think world building, they think that they have to like come with these ready-made like D&D type like lore of RPG books and rules. And, you know, that does help if you have the time to do it. But when you're really trying to world build, you look for the details. And... That is what allows you. You look for the things that you can connect to in real life that can then um, help fill out your world. And a lot of time your audience is going to fill in the blanks for you if for you if you're along for the ride. I think what made Kyle's run in Power Rangers so special and Ryan's run in Power Rangers so special is that they took very they made these characters so human and mm-hmm. how they responded to things. And yeah, you had big cosmic events and alternate evil rangers. And at the end of the day, you were dealing with a little lost boy that needed a father figure or a mother figure. I ended up with Rita, who did some very bad things to his mind. <laughs> you know? And the same thing goes for something like The Dead Lucky, where, you know, it is a sci-fi book. You're building a brand new world. But when you tell it through the story of a girl who talks to herself and in reality is talking to you, when you add little bits like a day of the dead altar or you know bedia bows or things that make you feel 
like, hey, like I'm, I feel like engaging in this world. It allows you the freedom to live in it in a different way. Mm-hmm. And when you do that, there you don't, ha- as a storyteller, you don't have to spend so much time explaining because they're just living in there with you. And I think they'll give you a lot more leeway if you just give them something, a little something to hang on to and to dangle their carrot on, and then they just follow you. That make any sense? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> when the characters are a bit more grounded, you relate to them more because there's little things in the real world that, you know, it's not super sci-fi all the time. It's like you see something that they're eating or something that they're cooking or making or just living in that space. Yeah, it's it's very relatable. And I think that's what I love about all the characters in, in the Massiverse, even though they have this big cosmic stuff happening to them at the end of the day they're still people that you can relate to yeah and i think the best way to kind of say the difference in world building is the difference between like for example a boom studios power rangers run and like that eddie shankor 2017 or 2017 like nc17 movie Mm, right that fan film where one was clearly told for shock value and one was told as a love letter to rangers Right. Mm-hmm. If you read Kyle's run of Power Rangers, it's not the TV show. It's different. But they're in modern times. They have cell phones. They wear modern clothes. There's different characters. The way Rita talks is different. Rita's not this like <laughs> character. You know, she's a different <laughs> character. But because he takes the time to give you these characters with human emotions and he takes you, he starts you with Tommy's POV as a guy dealing with the events that have happened to him and, you know, his own form of PTSD it's easy for you to fall into the story because you understand he's got the soul of what makes Power Rangers work. And I'm not, I'm not harping on that at a no, no. movie, but that movie was clearly about shock value. Right. That movie was about, I'm going to take something you love and turn it on its head and make it so unlike the original, you, you're, you're going to, you can't help but think like, what the hell, right? Or right. I don't know if I can test on you guys' podcast. Yeah, sure. <laughs> what the f- Right? Yeah, like, you yeah. know, he had, I mean, the one I keep bringing up, he has Diva and Scorpina, or no, Rita and Scorpina having a threesome with with Zach and snorting coke. Like, yeah, what part of that makes sense? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> That's literally just for the visual. Right. And I think, you know, it requires a lot of trust in your audience, especially if you're trying to bring them in a new world, for them to have things that make sense. And it's not just for shock value. 100%. At Hanzo Howells said, glad to have you back with your run on MMPR coming up. Do you enjoy writing the Dead Lucky more or MMPR? Um, you know, it's different. It's different. Dead Lucky is a much more personal book. And mm-hmm. in that case, it feels much harder because one, it's my first book. That's my book. It's only on me. And really, I'm basing it on the on very personal things. So it's success or failure feels very personal to me. Plus, I'm also writing alongside tremendously talented writers uh, who are very seasoned and very experienced. And it can be it can be a mind. F- honestly, like I, I terrified. Thankfully, they're all very supportive and read every book and give me notes. But it's such a different book that mm-hmm. I feel much like it's I'm very invested in whether or not people like it, but also whether or not people are along for the ride with BB. With Mighty Morphin Power Rangers, I have such a different relationship with it because it's a licensed book. These are not my characters. I just get to play with them. But I mean, I've, I've loved them for 10, 10 years. So it's a joy for me to write these characters the way I would see them, the way I see them, as opposed to reading somebody else's script. It's also terrifying to 
be the creator now and have to realize I'm the one that's like, it's so funny. Like Daphna constantly has to remind me like, Melissa, you're the talent now you have to like, <laughs> like, Oh, right. Cause you know, you act differently when you're a creative executive, as opposed to when you're an artist, like it's a different mindset. So be the one responsible for the story and to be the one that, um, isn't a quote unquote charge. I'm not in charge. I work with, you know, the editors and everybody else who give me notes and help me make this the best story it could possibly be and that I could write at the time. It just feels different, but I'm having a blast either way. I'm loving, I'm going to cherish every issue that I get with Power Rangers because it's just so much fun. And honestly, it feels so much better to end my time with Power Rangers doing this than just leaving the way I did. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's such a great way. And I think, you know, that's why a lot of people got excited for your return, because you're coming back to the thing that, you know, a lot of fans know you from and yeah. now you get to end your story on, on your terms. Yes. Hopefully not for a while. But yeah, right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> a couple more questions and, and then uh, we'll let you go because I, I know uh, you're you're really busy. Just with with the massive verse and, and and dead lucky at C2E2, you had the big uh, massive verse panel that you were on, and it was also announced that you're going to be co-writing the Radiant Pink miniseries. So mm -hmm. can you give us a, a little tease of that or, or talk about uh, Radiant Pink coming up? Yeah, absolutely. Um, Radiant Pink is uh, co-written by myself and Megan Camarena, who you all know as Hyperforce Pink and also Kimberly in the Battle for the Grid series uh, or the video game. She is fantastic. And thankfully, we've um, been lucky enough to have her be a close friend for these last few years. And so it's just been a lot of fun to work on this project with her for a character that she's very invested in because she helped create it. She co-wrote issue two with Kyle Higgins that featured Radiant Pink in Radiant Black. This is just a fun book. It's really different from the other two. It's I, I don't write it myself. I, I co-write it with Megan. And she, if you know Megan at all, uh, she is chaos in a bottle. And that's very much this character. Eva is a streamer who has uh, thrives on chaos and her life is a little out of control. And now on top of it, she's a superhero and she does not know how to balance both. And, um, and we're putting her in a situation where she has to figure out that she is not superhuman. <laughs> in a sense, she is, but she... Uh, needs some help, but we're doing it in a really fun, chaotic, crazy way. Like think Bill and Ted meets Sliders meets Romeo and Juliet. Like we're just having fun with her powers and we're taking away, like issue 12 was about her being a streamer. We're taking that away and we're like, okay, if you can't do this, if you're stuck on a planet and can't get back home, who are you really? If you can't portal away from your thoughts and all these issues that you have what does that do to you and um, it's been a blast the first issue was really fun we're writing the second right now and the theme that we want to go to it's actually pretty deep and interesting um it's going to be a nice way to manage all the chaos and color i think um our writer is emma kubert our colorist is um oh god i can't remember i forgot her name i'm sorry i'm sorry uh becca's lettering so we have an incredible team of all girls who are just kicking on Radiant Pink, and it's going to be a fun mini series. That's awesome. So, when you're not busy with the media that you work on, are there any particular books, movies, comics, television shows that you enjoy as a fan? Yeah. I mean, I play a lot of video games when I can. I haven't had a lot of time for them recently. I'm in love with my Steam Deck right now because I'm excited that I can play with it. I love a good RPG. 
I love having wives and girlfriends that I get to romance as another character. Like I am a big softy at heart. I just enjoy <laughs> a good freaking space romance. I love me my blue wife. Liara Mass Effect. Woo. Yes, like Liara forever. <laughs> I, so yeah, I'm a big Mass Effect. Anything that's good. I just finished Cyberpunk. I really, I really enjoyed the campaign in Cyberpunk. That was really fun. I do read other comics. I'm really into uh, The Nice House on the Lake, which is not a romance story, but it's still fun. <laughs> the Poison Ivy run is really good. I've been really enjoying that. Obviously, the Massive Burst books are good. I really love a lot of the things that Tom Taylor is doing at DC. Just really fun. He just he just has such a good voice and you know such a nice guy. Sky. Um, as far as move like the Sandman, obviously I, I really loved on Netflix. I thought that was really fun. Harley Quinn is a lot of fun to yes. watch. Really digging that. But my list is growing. I just keep. I don't have time right now. I'm waiting. I'm so I'm excited for Morphicon, but I'm so ready for that week to be over. Because then I feel like I can actually play video games again and watch TV. Like I've been waiting to watch A League of Their Own and I just haven't had a chance Ooh, it's to so good. watch it. I want to watch it. I just so started bad. watching it. <laughs> I want to watch it. Have you started or heard about Paper Girls? I have. Uh, I, I've heard about Paper Girls. I've read the comics. I have not seen the movie. I mean, the show. The series. I recommended it to AP and AP immediately texted me back after watching the first episode. Oh my God, I'm addicted now. That's really, that's really good. Too, I just yeah. started watching it. I haven't read the comics, but I've been interested in reading the comics at some point. But yeah, I, I watched the first couple episodes and it's really good. And then probably the, the only one that I'm really obsessed with that Melissa, I, I think you might get a kick out of in terms of sci-fi and maybe alternate history. I, I preach this show to anyone, but uh, for all mankind on, on Apple TV. You know, you're not the first one that's told me that. I'm excited to watch it. It's on my list. I've heard that one's really good. Yeah, it's it's really good. I, I'm a sucker for alternate histories and uh, it's written by uh, Ronald Moore who did a lot of uh, Star Trek stuff and it's got a lot of like Star Trek behind the scenes people too. So it's really awesome. cool. It's, it's if the Russia won the space race, right? Yeah. The and then how it goes from there it's it's pretty wild that's crazy but yeah i just want to say melissa thank you so much for being on ranger command this was you know a, a real blast um do you have any social media you want to plug that people can find you at yeah i'm at misty underscore flores at instagram and twitter yeah thank you again for all your support the only thing i would say is like if you want to support my work on anything like just please just Put dead lucky on your pull list any little bit helps um especially on an independent book but no i really appreciate you guys having me like i said a fan of the podcast big fan of you and um just enjoy you guys personally too so it's been a lot of fun thank you so much for allowing me to to be on and to answer all these fun questions yeah absolutely melissa and also a big thanks to all of our listeners who did submit questions hopefully you had your question answered and if not it was probably something that melissa couldn't talk about anyway um <laughs> but I, I will say that if you are interested in the work that Melissa is doing with the comics, Dead Lucky number one is out now. Dead Lucky number two comes out September 7th. Third issue comes out October 5th. And uh, Melissa's run on Mighty Morphin Power Rangers starting with issue 101 comes out October 26th. So big month for Melissa in October. So be sure to pick up those issues. And I highly recommend the, the dead lucky. I, I read the first issue <laughs> when I was parked because I got early to the super or the massive verse uh, meetup in Lotport. And so I was just reading dead lucky number one and uh, oh, it's fun. really good stuff. 
Thank you. And um, I will say I got a sneak peek at issue 100 of MMPR and it is incredible. So don't sleep on that. I know you guys won't. It's Ryan's last issue and he is like, I'm not, it's so good. Yeah, <laughs> That's it's, awesome. It's definitely on my pull list. Yeah. It's really, really good. And I don't know how I'm going to follow that, but. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you so much, Melissa and uh, Ranger Nation. Let us know what you think. If you have questions, you can email us at rangercommandpowerhour at gmail.com or check us out at rangercommand.com. You can find us on Twitter at rangercommandph and on Instagram and Facebook at rangercommandpowerhour, all one word. And until next time, we'll see you on the next Ranger Command Power Hour. You've been listening to the Ranger Command Power Hour only on the Four Eyed Radio Network. You can catch a new episode every other Saturday. Find us on the Morphin Grid at www.rangercommand.com. Follow us on Twitter at RangerCommandPH. Like us on Facebook and Instagram at Ranger Command Power Hour. Ranger Command is also on Patreon. Become a patron by pledging as much or as little as you like every month and receive cool perks. By pledging, you are helping us make our show even better. Go to patreon.com slash rangercommandph to learn more. Thanks for listening.